listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 351. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our Scandinavian journey with the Norwegian Netflix fantasy series Ragnarok. And, dude, I got inspired. I went out in my front yard. I threw my sledgehammer 11 meters <laughs> and hurt my I, shoulder. Right. <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, I didn't think to go out and see how far I could throw it. I definitely... I uh, can't throw it half a kilometer, that, that's for sure. Well, the reason I went out there is I got some trees that when they were planted like four years ago that, you know, they, they were staked. And there were a couple that I still needed to remove one of the stakes. I mean, you know, they're not tied to the trees anymore. So I take my sledgehammer and just kind of whack it to loosen it because they're, you know, like a foot or two in the ground. And, uh, of course, I broke it off at the ground, but that's another story. <laughs> so that's why I had it out there. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to try and throw it. And then my shoulder said, you better not. <laughs> so actually I lied. I didn't throw it at all, but I did have it out in the yard. Well, you do maybe like an underhanded throw. Might, yeah, well, be less uh, disruptive. Really? But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, show's getting pretty good here, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the show for sure. It's, um, again, like I kind of one way I think you can um, tell that you're into a show is that it ends and you're like, oh, oh, it's over, you know, instead of some other shows we've done where it's been like, uh, how much longer is left in the show? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, so it's, it keeps the, uh, it keeps the action moving, keeps the story moving so far. So good. Yeah. Cool. So, all right. Well, if you guys want to contact us with some episode feedback, questions, comments, whatever, the email address is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. You can go to the website if you want to leave a voicemail. We've got the leave voicemail tab. Record your own if you'd like, the way Fred does each week, and send it as an attachment. Also, consider joining the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. Now, I want to mention again this week, and we did mention it last week, that we are going to cover the pilot episode of the forthcoming TNT Network science fiction series Snowpiercer that premieres on Sunday, May 17th. And our discussion is going to appear as that week's release on Friday, May 22nd. And yes, we will be interrupting Ragnarok, which, dude, at the time seemed like, okay, that's a good idea. Now, two <laughs> episodes into Ragnarok, things are really uh, getting pretty good. So right. I, I guess we'll still do it, but it's not a slam dunk the way it seemed when we made that decision initially. That's what, you know, planning ahead just is, doesn't get you anywhere, man. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. All right. Tip of the week, what we're watching. Um, I got two episodes to go in season two of Westworld. Dude, I burned off like four last night. Um, nice. I'm going to hold off resuming season three until I finish. I probably won't get to finish tonight, but um, it looks like we've got family viewing. Uh, <laughs> but I also watched the netflix series the english game have you seen that or has no. it crossed your path it's a six-part series from the creator of downton abbey that follows the transformation of english football which here in america we call soccer from a game played by rich gentlemen to one that you know ultimately gets embraced around the world it really was good uh, did you guys see downton abbey no really wow uh, yeah i have not yeah. Uh, that's a good one but but this is only six episodes it, it culminates in the big game and and it's just really well done the acting cool. is great and and clearly i'm not a soccer fan but 
really, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I really love the history of virtually any sport. I sure. mean, I love history in general, as you know, as we've said right. many times that our podcast listening involves a lot of history podcasts. Right. Well, especially now with the complete dearth of sport and watching any kind of sports, even soccer, I would, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, but you know what I was thinking, at least football fans, we, we sort of had an event this past yes. weekend with the NFL draft. Yeah. Yeah. The and, draft is very exciting. Yeah. And, and again, you know, I mean, obviously they made a lot of adjustments to how they telecast it. And as a viewer, I was fine. I, you know, whatever. And I mean, so yeah, give me a game in front of an empty stadium. I don't care. Pump in fake crowd noise. I don't care. You right. know, get fake crowd shots from a previous season. I don't care. Just <laughs> give me some, give me some sports, but yeah. uh, you know, just the last thing, the other show that I'm really looking forward to checking out is Penny Dreadful City of Angels, which premiered on Showtime April 26th, and it appears they're taking a cue from American Horror Story with a new cast, a new setting, and new stories. So while I'm not going to have Eva Green to break my heart each week, mm-hmm. but I'm still looking to check check it out. So right, but they did originally. They did like three seasons with the same cast, right? Yes, they did. Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. So all right, what do you got? Again, Westworld, which you know we can't really talk about right now, but still completely killing it. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm really going to talk about Westworld. Said so one thing. I, you know, the next day I'll go and read about the previous night's episode and to see like some really harsh criticism of it. I'm like, I, I don't get it. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of see where the people are coming from, but I think overall each episode is just really good. Like, it's kind of like, and, and I guess sometimes I do this well I will nitpick little things uh, instead of you know really considering the gestalt uh of of the episode and uh but yeah some I've seen like some criticism I just completely don't agree with because uh, I think this season's just been awesome and uh, you know it's one of those things where I'm in the middle of the show and watching I'm like man this is awesome you know like as I'm watching sometimes like you know it's a really good show kind of in the middle of the episode you're just like this is uh, this is this show is awesome right now, you know. Well, yeah, I've thought that as well. And going back to season two now, I, I've done the same thing you you just talked about, which is to go and read reviews. And I've been reading uh, reviews on Den of Geek by David Crow, who is just an incredible critic. I, I, I you know, it's yes, I work for Den of Geek, but uh, mm-hmm. I would read his reviews even if I didn't. And I get the sense from things he says that universally season two wasn't so well loved that there were a lot of critics and I'm thinking really because again, well, where did the, you know, where did the native American episode come from? That just came out of nowhere. Well, no, it didn't. Yeah. And a lot of people consider that not only the best episode of Westworld, but one of the best episodes of television they've ever seen. So, yeah, it's tough to criticize that episode, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Anything else? Yeah. So the other thing is, I don't know if you've ever seen Silicon Valley. I haven't, but it does look intriguing. Yeah, it's it's pretty effing funny. I have to admit. Um, yeah, I just kind of like one night, just like you know, I've always kind of been intrigued by this show. I, you know, I saw I never saw an episode. It ran for six seasons. I think it's done. I uh, never saw an episode. Mm-hmm. 
I'm just like, what the heck? You know, try out. And, uh, man, it is, that is one funny show. I like it a lot. So, and it's just, you know, like these guys who are trying to, who have this, this guy comes up with this really great, uh, tech innovation, but he's just having the worst time in making it work as a company and, you know, and everything he's got. And his, the buddies who he has formed this company with are all just, everyone's just, hilariously riotously funny people uh it's a great show highly cool. recommended all right sounds good i finally got my wife to watch the first episode of community which she loved we just got caught up in other things and we'll definitely go back to it but yeah so yeah great to see community on netflix that was awesome yeah so all right well let's get to ragnarok episode two season one 541 meters and uh, of course or uh 591.645 yards yes for those of you in the united states uh <laughs> written by simon alsvik who is apparently a big name in norwegian television as both a creator and a director uh directed by mogan hagadam who directed episode one and, you know, as, as we were saying a few minutes ago, things are really picking up. But one of the things I really love about this series, it's not at all what I expected in terms of tone. And it, it certainly is serious, even dark at points, not dark like dark, but, you know, not unlike Impulse. And, and again, I know you were not thrilled with Impulse, but it was a serious show that, that could have gone Anytime you've got teenagers as the principal characters, it can go all over the place. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's um, well, th I guess the thing that has surprised me the most so far is that our hero is he, I'm not saying he's not heroic because obviously he's a he's a really good kid. He's got a really good heart, but he, we haven't really seen him activate his heroism that much yet except for to throw hammers really far well he's he's getting his footing and right right no, no that's what i'm saying so that's the only thing like, i guess that surprised me is that he hasn't already but you're right he's he is he's getting his foot there so right now you did your homework last week so i figured oh boy i better do some this week but you know after seeing this episode i just so wanted to and i found out that there is a, a work called prose edda which is an old Norse work of literature written in Iceland during the 13th century, which is considered the most detailed source for modern knowledge of Norse mythology. So, you know, the town of Edda, is it connected? Probably. Why would it not be? Mm -hmm. but, but you did some looking up of names and how they might fit into the context. Vidar is apparently the son of Odin. Now, it doesn't appear our Vidar is going to turn out to be the son of Odin. Uh, well, yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, right. I mean, I'm wondering, is it merely a red herring? Is the show's creator going to make everything so obvious? Uh, and, oh. and the fact that Magna, by all accounts, is going to turn into Thor if he hasn't already, and, and that's fine. Y you know, that, that, that certainly gets us going and certainly there's some indications that Lartz is in fact going to be loki but during the conversation that ran has with her husband vidar she pretty much solidifies the fact that they're not human 
I mean, we, yeah. we pretty much suspected that last time. Sure. But, you know, now we get quite a bit of verification. The old woman at the grocery, possibly Frigg, Odin's yeah. wife. Yeah, could be. I mean, you like pointed- I said, that, that, right, that first guy that they ran into in town, well, not ran into, but the first man they encountered um, had a patch. He had one eye, which right. is, you know, seemingly indicative of, of Odin, that being Odin, but. Who knows? Right. And, and the two of them in it, it, at least the same geographical proximity in that opening scene, uh, she comes out of, I think we speculated at the time, beauty parlor or whatever. Now, apparently she works at this grocery store at, at which the locals shop. The other thing that I have come across, and I certainly read about the Norns before, I think that came up in uh, Lost Girl who are beings who create and control fate. And I'm wondering whether Turid might be one of those because there is one of the Norns whose name is Erd, U-R-D, who controls the past. We've got Verdandi who creates the, or who controls the present. Skuld who controls the future. So, you know, I wonder if even Turid is going to turn out to be somebody. Is everybody going to turn out to be somebody? Right, right. I don't know. I find it difficult to ascribe anything to Gree at this point. And, and some of uh, uh, the friends that, and I'm making air quotes with friends that, that uh, Lawrence meets at the school, the whole increasing importance of weather and its turbulence associated with Ragnarok. And we talked about that last week and, and that seems to be picking up steam. But we, we talked about, is this the giants versus the gods and oh that's what ragnarok is so are we maybe starting to think that the Udal family are giants i mean you know ordinarily we think of giants as giants so right and especially the vidar saying like you know they used to worship us and everything it seems like they're more like kind of like gods i think there was a, a fair amount of God on God action going on in Ragnarok too, so it could be a, you know, uh, you know, a, a civil war here between the, the gods. Yeah, and there was a little bit of principal on student action going yes. on in this episode as well. But uh, we'll get there to that was. in a few minutes. Um, okay, and, and that certainly makes sense as well because they also make a point at the beginning of episode one that Etta is the last holdout to converting to christianity and and, uh, as you said that vidar makes the comment that they used to worship us the other thing about loki in addition to being a trickster i'd forgotten this but he's a shapeshifter as well and not only does he shift his appearance he often shifts his sex uh his gender and of Mm -hmm. course we see laurits wearing his mother's blouse he's got makeup to the school dance so, you know, I, I, I he think he pulls it off, though. He does pull it off. But I think more importantly, I, th- I think we really get the sense that, all right, we've got Thor and his brother, at least at home, Loki. So, you know, things are starting to uh, to come together. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about Lartz because. You know, in my notes, I, I've got it. Lawrence makes his move. And yeah, I mean, he makes his move to kind of assimilate into the popular crowd. And, and that's okay. I mean, I forget which one 
says to him, boy, you're not at all like your brother. And he's like, uh, you think? But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, were you surprised that they held this spring party, even though Isolde was, you know, her, her death yeah. occurred? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just that, you know, Eric signed off on it, basically saying, no, go ahead. You still have it. But yeah, that I don't think that would actually go down if, if it were an actual situation. And unfortunately, the school that I teach at, uh, we've had a rash of these. We actually, in the two weeks before you know, the school closed, we had two students died. Um, and the the last one was actually, a, he was in my class. So I, I couldn't imagine a dance going on at that time, you know, at all. But... I don't live in television, so. Well, the other thing, of course, I mean, from a narrative perspective, we, we know why they did it. But but we've said many times, whether with Ragnarok, the few episodes that, that we've covered, and, and Dark, that these stories that take place in these small European towns, it's it's a different you know sense and environment than than you and I are used to. So when Eric, as you said, tells the principal look she would have wanted you to hold the event she she wouldn't have wanted you to mourn her in in that regard so yeah okay maybe they would have gone on with it as well saxa getting up on stage that was kind of cringeworthy i thought and <laughs> while she has a nice voice uh, you know we, we know what she probably thought of isolde in, right in and, life and and she's so far is the only one that we really don't learn much about her you know we learn about everyone else in her family but her she's still kind of a a mystery certainly you know she before was talking with her friends and she's called you know Isol's death devastating you really feel the the shallowness of that comment you know like you just like well, she clearly doesn't really mean that. But then she goes and sings this song and it's like you know, I'm not going to I'm not willing to say that that was not heartfelt. Um especially when we know that he sold, you know, had a thing for Saxa. Seeing the proclivities of this family, there's no reason why Saxa would not have in some way returned he sold's, you know, affection and so maybe that wasn't entirely fake well i guess i looked at it as if she's the consummate actress doing this purely for her family it's one thing for the principal to get up on the stage and and say things and the kids are just like rolling their eyes and whatever but for the most popular kid in the school to get up there and do what she did has more impact and I, I don't know, do we know whether or not she was aware of how Isolde felt about her? I don't think we really know that, right? I mean, yeah, I, I don't think so either. But also, it, it seems like a pretty small school where it doesn't seem like there's like a lot of unknown things, you know? Right. And I guess these small schools, the principal just lets the boys go for <laughs> drinking at a alcohol-free environment and then like ah what the heck you're drinking let's go in a back room also yeah yeah well i that i just chalked up to it's in europe right i mean 
<laughs> it probably happens all the time there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fred? <laughs> <laughs> now, it, it's a great scene when Lartz goes up and says that something must be done about the music. And yeah, he, he was right about that. And, and I like the changes they made. Uh, the, the scene on the dance floor, and Fred's got some interesting observations in his feedback about what that means when Fjord, Saxa, and then Lawrence are out on the dance floor and everybody's around them and they're doing this. I mean, clearly it's an erotically tinged dance, but I think what we're supposed to take away, as, as Fred points out, are the almost animalistic not only movements but the the grunts that mm-hmm. we hear out of them and what does that mean if anything yeah um well you know fred posited last weekend about uh last week i should say about um you know Lawrence being you know like vidar's son and I think, and he you know, points out his feedback, a, a couple other pieces of element, uh, piece of evidence that would back that up. I think go no further than the fact that Fior yeah. plays this song that clearly has some kind of elemental impact on his family, right? Okay. It's his mother, his sister, and he are the ones who, uh, you know, like this song like causes them to go into these kind of convulsions and, and Laura just joins right in, you know, like not even missing a beat. Like Fred pointed out, it's, it's not like they were able to rehearse this dance. Not like he's ever seen it before. He just on a very basic level, you know, is affected the same way the others are. So I think that's really super, super strong evidence as to, you know, uh, Lawrence's parentage. Yeah, and we haven't seen any of the yellow eyes out of the children the way we have out of the parents. So that's certainly. I think we did a little bit. Did we? Okay. I think yeah, there was one shot where their eyes went a little yellow. Okay, but we didn't see it out of Lawrence at least yet. And then I like at the end. I think it's Saxa. You're a good dancer. So, all right, so we shall see. Uh, so anyway, Oscar, Fjord, Lartz drive to another party. And, you know, we get that scene where they stop off at, at the shrine. And as if we didn't need to see Fjord and Saxa as these entitled assholes, he urinates to put the candles out. And Oscar does what any... Apparently, teenager worldwide would do grab his phone, film it, put it on Instagram or whatever he put it right. on, and uh, and like and his if father. you think that is unrealistic, you are incorrect because yes. I know at our school uh, you were I'm, I think you were still there when this happened. Um, you know, a kid, another team was visiting for like a baseball game or something. And uh, one of our students had the good sense to decide to urinate inside the Jeep of the kid from the other school. And his friend made a video of it, posted it, and then the kid got suspended the next day. How did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. How did they find out? Oh, my God. Well, the other yeah. interesting thing in this scene is that when Fjord 
realizes what Oscar has done and demands that he delete it. And then he slugs him, which is a precursor for when Fjord actually gets home and has to face his father, who does a little bit more than just slug him as well. But, you know, the circumstances surrounding Isolde's death loom large in this episode. And, you know, you mentioned that uh, Magna hasn't really done anything heroic yet. And and while on the one hand that's true, I, I, I feel as if this pursuit of the truth in her death has a certain amount of heroism to it because nobody else really cares. Yeah. Even Eric just wants to let it go. Let the professionals handle it. Yeah, I, I, I mean that. I actually 100 percent agree with that. I, I didn't mean to say he hasn't done anything heroic. It's just you know at this point, obviously we're looking forward to that moment when he like realizes he can literally bring the thunder. Oh yeah. You know? and, oh, I and knew that what might you not happen till the end, right? It might be. The, we might go through this whole season before that actually happens but we're that's what we're really anticipating and and so and he's learning you know a little bit of, at a time but we see his his heart here right and the fact that you're right he's the only one who wants to pursue this everyone else says just drop it let the professionals handle it and, and he just he can't he won't he can't now is there anything about the school scenes that you want to bring up to pick apart <laughs> well oh my god <clears throat> i mean the teacher who comes up and says oh yeah, magna and uh, and agree and he's uh, sold and it's like oops it's like no come on yeah, you're so, right yeah you know, again and it just takes you out of that scene and everything they're trying to do just goes out the window and yeah. and i understand what they're trying to do they're trying to have magna form a relationship on some level with gree okay fine but no the dumbest teacher in our school wouldn't do that right yeah exactly so i mean that was that was obviously really really bad um, you know, like like I said, I mean, the, uh, the student that passed away. One of the the first things the the administration said to those of us who taught him were, you know, go through your attendance sheets you leave for subs and make sure you print up new ones that he's he's not on. You know, and that's I mean, that's a really hard thing. I don't even get even remind remembering that now. I'm getting a little bit sad about that, but um. You know, but that's like that's like basic stuff, you know. So there's no way that that would happen unless, like, you were just the most incompetent, stupid teacher ever. But of course, a lot of times on TV, they kind of revel in making teachers seem incompetent and stupid. And I, I guess I've gotten over that because I mean, it still bugs me, you know, because here it's a profession. That uh, of people who are professionals and spend years training, and and like ninety five percent of us, uh, you know, really work hard and and to to do our jobs and do it well. Um, but yet, constantly, you know, in movies and stuff, teachers are insensitive or assholes or stupid, you know, or incompetent. Um, so anyway, 
I'll get off my yeah. soapbox now. Thank well, you. Well, no, and and I would echo everything you just said. And I think a lot of people would say, well, there's no way Eric would come into work that day. You know, I think a lot of people would not. But I do think there are some teachers that would just feel as if this is what I need. And maybe it's trite to say this is what my daughter would have wanted. Because I think you know your child or you know your parent or or whatever and i i didn't have a problem with that and uh, and i liked the way that ran reacted to him coming into the classroom because she looked like you know she was ready to cover the class for him so you know yeah like you said we'll, we'll go ahead and, and and leave that go at which point uh, all the boys in the class were like ooh, maybe yeah, we've heard about the principal, man. Maybe we'll, we'll get lucky today. Well, you know, you'll wonder whether that's going to come up because, again, how could those boys not tell their friends Yeah, unless this is something that goes on all the time? Right. Again, maybe this is Norway in high school. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. Right. But but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane, right? It's absolutely insane that that happened. Right. Now, the other thing that I, I think, again, should be looked into from our perspective as television critics is the fact that the story about the cause of Isolde's death keeps changing, which is, of course, what gets Magna so fired up. And I know it's a small town. The police officer, the little bit we see of her, appears competent, but why would you just keep putting out all of these different theories if, if that's in fact what they are? And I understand a husband maybe telling his wife or a wife telling her husband something job related that probably isn't supposed to get out, but I find it a little off-putting that she would tell her son, and if she doesn't understand what an asshole her son is... <laughs> Then she's not a very good cop. Right, exactly. Where his son is so blatantly a douchebag that, that, you know, there's no way you should be telling that kid anything you don't want anyone else to hear. Yeah. Now, I I like the scene when Magna goes to see Eric. And again, we already know that from a social standpoint magna is still finding his way and and he's making progress but but he 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 doesn't understand i think the grieving pro, uh, process that eric's going through because he's just there pushing him about what really happened and and eric's doing his best to just let it go but what i really liked is when they come across her diary Magna makes the decision to put it in the trash. She should be able to have her secrets. Right. And I guess I'm assuming he means the thing about her crush on uh, Saxo, which again, in the, in the big picture is not that big a deal, but again, this is a small town and not that it's uh, a girl has a crush on another girl. It's more that a, a girl from a lower social strata has a crush on saxa right that that somehow that might i i don't know what but i I guess i looked at it in those terms more than more than anything 
I, I, I think it's just, I mean, it just shows like a, a kind of, just like a really wise, compassionate decision on Magnus' part, right? You know, that, yes. Um, obviously, most people's first instinct is, well, she's not around anymore. Let's let's read it. Let's see what what she said in her diary. And uh, you know, for him to make that decision is, you know, really a very mature decision. And, and you know, so we see how like it's just another situation where there's like these two parts of Magna, right? In the one hand, he's this very awkward, exceptionally socially awkward kid who just is really unable to interact with other people on a kind of normal level. But on the other hand, he's has this really kind of this wisdom and maturity beyond his years that actually only reinforces his awkwardness. Yeah, and in terms of his awkwardness, we get those two great scenes when he's looking on his laptop. Uh, he's got Google Earth up, and he's trying to figure out how far he actually threw that hammer the first time. And his brother comes in the room, he slams his laptop, and he's like, "Dude, only you would, you know, yeah. act like you're watching porn or something when you're looking at Google Earth." And then. Uh, Later, I forget, oh, the weather reports. Mm-hmm. He was looking for, you know, weather in their town later on. So that that was really cool. Yeah, well, but, you know, that you mentioned just reminds me of something else when they're at the dance and, um, you know, they're they're looking and um, Fior and uh, Gree are um, talking to one another. And, you know, Loris basically says something like, I can't remember exactly, but basically comments on how Magna is pining for Gree, but you know she's into him, and and then uh, Magna turns back with basically, well, you know, you know, making a suggestion as to how Lawrence is attracted to Fior, which you know, like in, in like probably normally guys would be like saying as a joke, like. Like, oh, well, yeah, too bad he's taken too, right? You know, that would normally be like brotherly teasing. If we look at it, first of all, Magna doesn't really joke. And secondly, when you look at him and he's being serious. So we really, oh, okay, well, so Lawrence is into guys. Okay, so like, you know, when we first we assumed that that suggestion they made was is him making fun of Lawrence, but it wasn't. He was being serious, straight up. Right. Well, you know, you talk about brothers teasing one another. He tells Lartz about throwing the sledgehammer and Lartz, you know, you're you're waiting for the reaction that never comes or at least the reaction we expect because they have a weird relationship. That that's certainly mm-hmm. something that's that's been made evident throughout these first two episodes and and they certainly seem to care for each other but they're just so different i'm not sure what to make of that but the fact that he is opening up he even tells gree that he threw it uh, a kilometer and a half and whether that's the point at which she decides all right maybe it's time for me to leave and go home yeah. or, or you know we don't know how long they'd been working in his bedroom with the door closed by the yeah. way yeah yeah well, and you know, again, it, it's you know just demonstrates to the the degree at which Magna has like zero game whatsoever. Um, that 
he's able to make, uh, you know, to not get anything done here. But yeah, it's like he just is does just doesn't comprehend that telling people you threw a hammer, you know, half a mile or a, a, not a half a kilometer or a kilometer and a half, you know, people don't react to that by saying, "Oh, that's awesome, man!" <laughs> like, yeah, the world you know, record's it, only eighty. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, that's what I thought was even funny. Like he looked up the world record, like. Like what he did has anything to do with like natural human ability, right? Like, oh, you, I'm just strong enough. I can throw a freaking hammer half a kilometer. You know, that's, let me see what the world record is. <laughs> right. Well, now you, you mentioned it seems as if he doesn't know certain things. And I, I certainly agree with you The the final scene uh, of the episode, when they return home from the service and they find their home is trashed. He's got a look on his face like he knows who might be responsible. And I'm not so sure. I mean, why would Vidar suspect him? Yeah, well, you know, only that he's like the new kid in town. Um, The hammer, Vidar certainly is concerned about the hammer. And, you know, maybe he's just been kind of looking over his shoulder for Thor to come tumbling into town one day. And, you know, so he's been. Maybe kind of paranoid about this happening for some time now. Well, that could be. I guess I get a sense that it's it's somebody we're not really thinking about because on the one hand, you say the new kid in town, and that's what's so interesting about this setup is that they're not that new, right? I mean, you know, they're from this town. You know that Vidar had a relationship, as Rand points out, with torrid back in the day so you know these are not unfamiliar people i i guess i feel like it's it's something i'm not sure if i'm ready to call it a red herring or not but i I think it's something that maybe is not as integral to the overall story as maybe it should be on the other hand i i guess we might say well then why'd they put it in there that's cheesy writing yeah yeah, I'm, I'm not about to give it the, the cheesy writing uh, label just yet, but I do agree with you that, um, that well, obviously, Vidar is our, you know, the, our first suspect here, you know, but you're right. It, it could be someone else, very likely. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, how does this play out? We can't see right now because, you know, the episode ended right there. So does this play out? Is this going to be significant down the line? If not, then you're right. It's That's bad, right? Right. Now, we've, we've been talking all along about Magna coming to terms with his godlike powers. And, and even in that opening scene, and I, you know, I've looked up what it actually is called, but when there's text going across the screen, it's not a voiceover because nobody's talking. But that whole idea that Thor commanded the weather and the forces of nature, uh, fought the enemies of civilization, represented law and order. And then, of course, we go to a camera shot of Magna at home as if we didn't have enough evidence already. But right. he seems to be able if to If you didn't catch weather. him throwing the hammer and then the skies lighting up with lightning then um, here's some more obviousness for you. (laughs) Right. And the fact that he has the ability to predict the weather is one thing, whether or not he'll be able to control it. 
I think we have to assume at some point sooner, probably rather than later, that he will be able to. And then we get that scene when Turret is in the grocery store, pays the woman whose response is the hero's journey has begun. And mm-hmm. people like you and me are like fists in the air. Yes, bring it on. Right. So, yeah. The part of me also was like, man, the people in this grocery store are not practicing social distancing right now. Well, you know, that's what's <laughs> so fascinating because I'm thinking that not necessarily in this scene, but as I'm watching it, that comes to mind that, yeah. well, of course, they made this. I, I was getting a little uncomfortable watching that scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, Vidar runs into Turid and asks her to handle the vandalism his car received when a hammer went through the front windshield. And again, of course, as the viewer, like, oh, <laughs> that's where it ended up. Because, that's a good aim, Magna. Dang. Well. He nailed that from a kilometer and a half away. So is there some supernatural component? Uh, of course, there has to be. It, it didn't just land there. So there's clearly some kind of connection, like you mentioned a, a minute ago, that has Vidar been waiting for the return of Thor? It, it, does he see the return of Thor as um, you know a comrade or... An enemy. I, I'm assuming it's going to come down to an enemy that, that yeah, it's go- going so, to yeah. be Thor against him. But then he sends uh, Turid the photos because, you know, he's hired her as an accountant. So he says, and again, no problem. She works for him. Uh, can you handle it with the insurance? And she says, sure. And sends her the photos. And then we we get that great shot that we see the, you know, that mark that. Yeah. I think at the time, Lawrence said, oh, you're in the Nazis now. But no, it's just, uh, I think it's the letter M from their family uh, name or something. I forget what it was. I looked at it. Oh, yeah, that rune that's on the bottom. Okay, I forgot about that because I I didn't see that. And I'm like, how come she sees the hammer and she starts, you know, banging in on Magna? Like, how she knows that? But you're right. There's the rune on the bottom. So that's how she knows their hammer. All right. And then, of course, she gives him money to buy him, buy a new sledgehammer because she says, I need my sledgehammer. Yeah, I need my hammer. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Oh, I love you, Turd. <laughs> and then what does he do? He throws the paper on the ground, which would horrify Isolde, and goes to the sporting field and, and does a test throw, which is only 86 meters. But still, what must he no, be thinking? No, that's the one that went 541. Oh, you're, you're right. I'm sorry. The world record was 86 meters. Right. Right. 540, which he paces out. So that took him a while. But what must he be thinking? First, the glasses. He has to have a sense about the weather that he didn't have before. And now the strength. And of course, we didn't even mention when he went to Eric's and he gets mad and he just shoves the car. Yeah. And both of them are looking at it like, Okay, and (laughs) let's not speak of this ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Then we've speculated whether or not he's actually on the spectrum. I mean, at this point, all they're saying is that he has dyslexia, but he's upset. Gree's coming over to study. And of course, mom's excited because it's a girl coming over. It's not only a friend, but it's a girl who's a friend. Yeah. 
And, you know, she's just a nice kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, she wants to make the best of this assignment. She doesn't treat him in any way other than with respect. And, and you're a hard guy to get to know. So she's making the effort. And I think she senses how difficult it is for him that he's not one of the other boys from the school. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think she, I mean, there's, there's definitely a level here where she, she likes him, likes him despite everything, you know, despite how awkward he is, you know, they're at the dance and he's sitting here and they're having a nice conversation and the slow song comes up. Well, I mean, uh, Fior even says, are you going to ask her to dance? You know, like he gives Magna the chance to ask her first, but Magna's just frozen. He doesn't get to dance with her. So, yeah. but despite all that, she seems to really have the traction for him. Yeah. Now, as if all that stuff wasn't good from a narrative standpoint, which it, it certainly is, Vidar's family secrets that start coming out into the open really... I, I guess solidify a lot of what we suspected last week. Vidar's wife asks if he's going to join her in the sauna. And of course we're like, dude, you know, how many times does she have to ask? <laughs> and right. she takes off her dress and then he admits I killed a Salta. Well, that's kind of a icebreaker. No, I guess not icebreaker, whatever the opposite of ice. I think like a wet blanket you yeah, think it would whatever. be, but it turns out to be quite the aphrodisiac. Yes. Even though she thought they agreed not to hurt children. So I guess hurting adults is okay. I think Fred mentions that in his feedback. But he's convinced that Isolde saw something on the glacier. And I think he even mentioned something about the cave. And, and of course, when she was in the cave, we saw that door that we talked last week reminds us of the door from dark. So Fred brings up the question in his feedback, what is Util Industries actually doing? I mean, are they just a normal corporation doing normal corporate stuff, or is there something more sinister, more supernatural at play? I mean, we don't know, but it's certainly, you know, something that's cool to consider. Well, you see the glaciers, not just melting. I don't know the word means, but they're melting at an extremely quick, fast rate. Right. Now, now he goes to look for Isolde's phone. I'm not sure what that's going to tell him or what that's going to tell anybody. She made these videos and posted them. So he's probably oh, thinking that right. she filmed oh. the door and everything. Of course. Of course. Okay. So now at the same time, of course, Magna comes up and, and there's a little shrine nearby, but the, the, Magna doesn't see him. He, he sees Magna. You know, during the course of, you know, the Ran and Vidar talking to each other, she mentions that he was on the mountain to find a sacrifice. And I, I assume it's just simply a sacrifice to the gods that, that they're still practicing the traditional religion and that's just part of it but it's got to tie into them being able to retain and perhaps even expand their powers and not the least of which is that they appear to not age in a traditional yeah. way so or die 
or die. I mean, again, is this, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I mean, is this like twilight where the, you know, the family doesn't age and they kind of have to move around because people start to question, well, how come you're still in high school after all these years? So, well, yeah, right. Good, good. That's a, that's a great point there because, well, it seemed like, doesn't it, you know, I guess now that I think about it, there's nothing saying, I guess we just assume that like Turid and Vidar went to school together, but that's not necessarily the case. They could have just been acquaintances from back when the boys were younger. Right. But while she notes Rand's appearance, she doesn't seem put off that Vidar should have aged much more so so because she didn't used to have sex with ran so well right um (laughs) now fjord eventually gets home from his a night of debauchery and and his father confronts him they once worshipped us they made sacrifices in our honor today things are different but we're still of critical importance to the people of this town and obviously we can take that a couple of different ways most of the people in the town likely work for util industries but clearly there's a subtext here that that he's not explaining just yet well the subtext is not only am i going to kick the crap out of you but i'm going to do it bare-chested yeah right well and then he also says we decide who lives and dies refers to them as humans so that we can continue what we are which uh, we're starting to get a sense of what you are. But yeah, as, as you said, he needed to take his shirt off to beat the crap out of his son who, who doesn't fight back. And, and we assume this is not necessarily the first time. I asked a few minutes ago, what must Magna be thinking about all of these newfound powers? Gree has spent the night at the house. She goes to the bathroom and overhears this slugfest uh, watching from the second floor landing and, and clearly she doesn't know what to make of it goes back to uh Sax's bed and i i feel like we heard some howling in the distance but uh no, you know maybe. that maybe okay <laughs> so i'm not sure what that uh, indicates and then of course we get the uh semi-gratuitous scene of Saxa and Gree in bed together and you know even though they're just talking some fascinating things come out of that saxa asks, well why don't you like fjord well you asked why i don't like your brother yeah uh, <laughs> you know well she saw the dance so you know it's not like after seeing that them dance like that together uh that question maybe doesn't seem quite so weird Right, but it seems as if Sax is trying to get some information out of her. She starts like stroking oh, yeah, her definitely. arm. Yeah, uh, I guess that's her mojo working. Exactly. But- yeah, it looked like some kind of like she was trying. I mean, we didn't see anything really happen except for maybe Gree felt more open and and was not suspicious of the questions that Saxa was answering. Right, and while it does seem as if Gree maybe likes magna i mean this this town seems pretty free and open so who knows what who knows what's going on here yeah but uh like i said she doesn't really get anything so so we're kind of left with 
you know, certainly a lot of questions related to Vidar's family. It, well, if they're not human, what are they? Are they the giants? Are they gods, as you speculated at the beginning of the discussion? I mean, we have all sorts of different gods. And, and again, in doing some research, um, you know, there is a school of thought that even Loki is only half god. Is that going to turn out to be important? I don't know. But how old are they? Yeah. How, how long have they? Old. How long have they had this appearance? And how come nobody in the town notices that they don't age? Because right. it's not like Turid, who left the town and then came back ten years later. They've apparently been here the whole time. Uh, we assume the sacrifices that they're talking about are made to the gods. Did the family sacrifice a child once before and perhaps experience negative consequences? I mean, <laughs> uh, they don't seem to be the kind of family that would care. A sacrifice is a sacrifice. Right. So I don't know. Uh, My question. Well, that's good. I mean, I think that's a really good thing about this series so far is that there are these really compelling questions that we, we have about it. And I'm okay if they don't answer them all at once, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh no question. And now we've only got six episodes, so that's right. certainly something in its favor. And again, I mentioned that you mentioned that was a problem with Impulse, that they had too many episodes that just felt like they were treading water a little bit mm-hmm. and then had to rush to get to the conclusion so hopefully we're not going to have anything like this although it has been renewed for a season two already and you never know when the showrunner learns that information so sure you know we, yeah, if you're we at netflix see. you never know when the the, the axe is going to fall you know right so all right anything else you want to bring up before uh, we listen to fred um just one thing is that the the day at at, at um sold's funeral uh, Gree sees Fjord and he's fine. No bruising. No, you know, like, I mean, he royally got his butt kicked by his dad, but there's not a bruise on him the next day. Okay. And whether or not that's television, because again, how many times have we seen somebody just haul off and wail on somebody's face? And you're thinking like, okay, A, how come their knuckles aren't bleeding? Yeah. And B, how does this guy still have all his teeth? Right. So right. is that something supernatural or is it just, you know, so so we don't know. I, I'm going to go with what you're, I think, implying that it's something with their godlike regenerative abilities that, that he has no marks on his body because they are all perfect. Yeah. So. Yep. All right, well, why don't we listen to what Fred's got for us this week, and then we will check right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the Norwegian series Ragnarok, Season 1, Episode 2. First off, I want to thank you for your compliments about my audio feedback of last week. Of course, this sets the bar high for this week's audio feedback. But I also want to compliment you. In previous times, I mean before Impulse, I always gave you some notes with pictures in it and screenshots, etc. But when I did the feedback for Impulse, I didn't have the time to do that because I was so busy with other podcasts. But these notes makes it, of course, easier for you to come back to the points I make. But 
I find it marvelous how you do it. During your discussion, you clearly have listened to my audio feedback already and come back to that as you discuss it and then at the end some some extra points. I'm really enjoying that a lot. When we are going to start with Dark, I probably will make notes again. Although in this series I also had the urge more or less to do it. Okay, about this episode. First off, I have watched this episode really twice. Normally I watch the episode once and then just before I make my audio feedback, I sometimes just skip through the scenes to remember what I wanted to say. But this time I really watched the episode twice and the second time I watched the English dubbed version. So awful! I really was not very pleased with the so-called Norwegian accent some actors have. If they speak English, please let them speak English. Especially this social worker, this psychologist or whatever that talked to the children in the school and he is going to the stage and says something about that everybody is welcome to contact him if they want to talk. So artificial. And what's also very strange is that Vidor is talking English all the time. And then when he feeds his dog, he is suddenly talking Norwegian. What is less a problem is when Saxa is singing in a school that she sings a Norwegian song. But still. Last podcast I suggested that Loritz could be Magnus' half-brother, but also Saxa and Fjord's half-brother. And we find in this episode a lot of indications that that could be true. At least nothing against it. One is that Ran says to Fidar, you had a thing for Turit back in the day. So that is one indication. And then she also says something that these normal people, so not as they are, get fat, sick, old and die. So actually that was another prediction I had, but you had that as well. If this Ran was also some supernatural creature... And we had already an indication because, as Turit also said to Magna, I don't know how she does it, looking like 35 and she must be 50 or so. Well, here we get the proof that the whole Yutul family is these supernatural creatures because we see Ran changing her eyes, but also Fjord and Saxa during dancing. We also hear them grunt Ran when she has sex with these teenage boys. My second indication that Loritz could be a half-brother of Saxa and Fjord is that he is the one that is dancing with them just in the same manner. He just came into town. He doesn't know these guys. How do they dance? He just fits in perfectly. And one other indication is when you pay very closely attention to this dance, there is just one fraction of a second where we see Loritz, but we also hear the grunting. So is this his grunt, or is that just the background sound of the grunting of Saxa and Fjord? I have the impression it is his. What about what Ren says to Vidar about we agreed on not to harm children when he confesses that he killed Isolde? What is she doing with these boys? And if they agreed on not harming children, did they also agree on that hurting adults is not a problem? Furthermore, Vidar talks about that because the ice is melting that the entrance to the tunnel is open and Isolde discovered that tunnel. And we very shortly see indeed water dripping on a barrel. 
I said last podcast that it was in the trailer, but it was not in the trailer. Perhaps I saw it somewhere else. So this makes it indeed a lot the same as in Dark, having secret storage for barrels with whatever. This also made me think is what the heck is this new tool industries actually producing? We know that there is a high concentration of mercury and cadmium in the lake. And then from that lake, it goes through the town of Edda. But what are they producing actually? Is this something also magical, mystical, whatever? Or is this just heavy industries? Another topic I want to talk about is the non-verbal communication in this YouTube family. Because when Fedor is getting angry with Fjord, he kisses him on the forehead. And then you see in the expression of Fjord that he exactly knows what is coming. So this kind of abuse or punishment, he knows that from before probably. Another example is when Ren is talking to these three boys at the school party and also Fjor is standing there. She just looks at him and that's a signal he should go because he probably exactly knows what his mother is planning. So also non-verbal communication and very clear to one another. And then Ren goes for her young candy. In the sense of very liberal sexual behavior within this family, it's also special. On one hand, this Ren has just sex with Vidar on the couch, but on the other hand, she also wants these boys. And obviously, the family knows this and accepts this. Same is true for when Ren makes the remark to Vidar about that he had a thing for Turid. And she also says to him, about this hammer he gets through his windshield of his car that it could be a jealous husband or a jealous wife or whatever so knowing and expecting actually that he had a lot of affairs and not being angry at all about that just expecting that so this Utul family is actually sexually insatiable and promiscuous last few topics I think that Gree is quite a strong character. When, for instance, Fjord is asking her to dance, she does not immediately go for that and is actually doubting a little bit if she should do it, but eventually she does it. And then when he later asks her to come along with him more privately, she refuses. And when she is then later in bed with Saxa, Saxa asks her, why don't you like my brother? And then she says, well, everybody fancies Fjord, so it's not original. I think quite strong. And I think she has a great feeling of that he is a bad boy. And of course he is. He probably sleeps around. And then also when Saxa is touching Gree, she also let it be a little while, but then she turns around. I think she's so strong that she will evolve into a companion for Magna. One thing I wondered is when we see the funeral of Isolde, that the whole town is coming to church, but that Vidar is staying in his car outside. We also don't see Ran. So what is this? I mean, if this is something that is so devastating to the whole small town, why is the big industrial person who has to do with a lot of people in the town not going to this funeral?
And what does the town think about that? At the end, of course, we have the trashed house. I wonder, is this a revenge? Or were they looking for something like Isolde's phone? Or is this just discrimination? We really have to watch next episode to find possibly out why this is. And then last thing, the funniest moment of the episode is actually when Loritz is saying to Magne, okay, she's gone, when Fjord is talking to Gree. And, and then Magne answers, yeah, and he is also gone. So he knows that his brother is homosexual. Long feedback this time. In the analysis, it starts a little bit to feel like dark. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. And, and unless I misunderstood Fred, I think what he was talking about is the accents of the English dubbing. Yeah, so I, you ha- have you watched it with the English yes. dubbing on? No, I watch it in Norwegian okay. with English subtitles. Yeah, so the whereas most shows that you watch with, like Dark, for example, when you watch the dubbed version, it's people speaking with American English accents, right? Okay. Maybe they had the actors actually do their own dubbing because the uh, they have very heavy Scandinavian accents uh, in the English dubbing, which is unusual. And I didn't necessarily just assume that the actors did their own English work, but that's possible. And I find it, I mean, I'm completely okay with that. I think it works. I think it maybe actually adds a little more credibility to the dubbing, I guess is the way to say it. Like when I first started watching it, I didn't even, because I I, I guess the last uh, film that I'd watched uh, there, I had used the dubbing. So it just, Netflix immediately, you know, does the same. Your audio carries over from show to show. And so they just start speaking English. and. As as we said before, like with dark, a lot of the northern uh, European languages and English are so close to one another that it's difficult. It's it's it makes for better dubbing because the the people's mouths aren't wildly out of sync with the words that they're saying. So, so like I didn't even really like it, it took me a while before I'm like, oh wait, I wonder. I don't know what it was, but I'm like I was just I'm wondering if this actually is is dubbed and, and and it is so so yeah so that's an unusual call but like fred didn't like it but personally i like it i think it i think it actually adds a little bit of like i said makes it uh more real i'll have to check it out with uh one of my watches of episode three i mean i remember noting when we were talking about dark that i had seen some interviews on youtube with some of the cast members of dark and they all spoke perfect english and Mm -hmm. i'm wondering well why didn't you do your own dubbing because clearly that wasn't you doing the english dubbing and and i I don't know so you know whether that's sort of what we're talking about here i don't know but uh fred also picks up before we go on i just want to say yeah one thing because fred did not enjoy the uh the guidance counselor social worker who got up and I don't know how, and this is actually the one point where I was wondering how that played out in the act, in the actual Norwegian, because that guy was freaking hilarious. I thought it was very much like Ricky Gervais, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen like the original office. I have um, not. Okay. 
or if you've seen like have you ever seen like Ricky Gervais in, in action? Like, yeah, I'm not he, a fan, but but he, I I know he what the you're same getting thing at. all the time. He yeah. was like, so you can uh, call me anytime, just not Thursdays and you know things like that. I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, but I thought it was pretty funny, and I thought the dubbing was the guy who did the dubbing nailed it. <laughs> I thought I thought it was really funny, and I don't know if how they played it out in the Norwegian was was that was that a funny scene. Did you find well, that funny? When- uh, well, I didn't find it funny. I guess I I felt like it was out of place in that you're supposed to be the school psychologist. One of the students just died tragically. You're telling them, call me anytime, just not Thursday. I'm busy on Thursday. No school psychologist would say that. Right. Not, it just would not happen that way. Yeah, and okay. That alone just took me out of that scene. And, and while I didn't find it funny, I thought it was just absurd. So, gotcha. Um, anyway, Fred points out the nonverbal communication that the Udall family has. And, uh, you know, I, I guess you could say that a lot of families probably have that kid does something wrong, dad comes home and just looks at him. And you, you know it's what the dad's church thinking. Look. So. You know, the talking in church look, you know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You're at the end of the of the pew and you're laughing at something they're talking and you just see the, the death stare from right. mom or dad at the other end. They don't need to say anything. Right. Now, the other thing he noticed that I did not is that the Udals were not in attendance at Isolt's funeral service. And oh, well, um, no. Uh, Fjord was. Okay, Saxon was. was. Okay. Yeah, Fjord and Saxon were. Okay, but the parents were not, which right. um, still, I mean, I think to, to Fred's point that you are the head of the company that employs most of the town. Your wife is the principal of the high school that all the kids go to. Right. That seems a little weird, and I would agree with Fred on that. Sure. So uh, I, I can't think of any justification they could have for not attending. Well, except for that this family clearly is of the, we can do whatever we want. Well, what yeah, are you going to sure. say about it? Just try and say something, peasant, you know, of, of that attitude. So they, they literally can do whatever. Like, I mean, we're talking about the principal who took two of her students and had them perform oral sex on her. It's like, that's not okay, but clearly- this family can just do whatever the hell they want to do. That is true. So, all right. Anything else about Fred's feedback? I just say, Fred, you know, don't try to recreate the past, bro. You had, you had great uh, feedback last time. I'm not saying that this wasn't just saying, don't feel like you have to live up to your own expectations. Just do what you do, man. Keep, keep trucking along. All right. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there. A good episode. Um, you know, I know I'm going A minus. I get a feeling you're probably going to go B plus. You are felt correctly. Okay. So I just, I don't know. Like, I know. I, 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 and it's, it's definitely not that I don't, I really, really like this show so far. I'm just trying to be very selective with handing out my A's. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that point. That'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Wanna thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Ragnarok, Impulse, Dark, anything else going on in genre TV. Encourage you to join the Facebook group and get into some discussions there. If you want to email us, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. 
You can set us a voicemail uh, either through the tab on the website or just record your own and send it as an attachment. We'll be back next time to discuss episode three of the Netflix fantasy supernatural series Ragnarok titled Udelheim. But until then, you know, you know, it's a party, Dave, when you find yourself saying you're actually pissing on me as well. <laughs>